tonight we have a very special guest. And she will be talking to and telling us about what needs to be improved as well as what exists in the world of sexuality. Okay, hello. Welcome to Kiara Nation. And today our special guest is Carol Lee, Scarlett Harlot, the superhero of sex workers, the woman that coined sex work. And um, my co-host, Mr. Michael Ellsberg, and um, of course me, Kiara. <laughs> today uh, we're going to get up close personal with Carol and we will have different discussions and polit sexual politics topic so don't forget to subscribe and um like all right here we go hi how are you carol i'm really good and i'm so excited to be interviewed by you i mean i've been your friend and also following your work and just and this is just i've never always wanted to do this and this is just really a wonderful gift thank you well no thank you I'm going to um, let the audience know Carol Lee met me at a very low point in my life. I really didn't have anyone because I was ostracized by my family to, um, because of sex work. And I found a community and I found someone very wonderful and, and, and mother-like for me. And she inspired me to get better because I really was just, I, I had given up and everything. And I was with someone really awful. And because of her, I'm here right now. I believe, um, her and God, of course. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm very happy to have her here. Carol Lee, could you tell our audience about your, your growing up, you know, about you, how you, you know, where you were from and where you grew up? Okay, just the basics. So, um, I grew up in Queens and Jackson Heights. And, uh, you know, my parents were socialists, like they were in Yipsol. So I'm a red diaper baby. I'm very proud of that. Um, I lived there until I was about uh, 11. And, um, yeah, I was there, a very good girl, super good girl. And I always did my homework and tried to be smart. And I just did everything. I loved boys, actually, kind of really super much. And um, that was my whole life. Uh, my dad... Uh, he didn't necessarily believe that, that boys were smarter and better. And he used to school me in uh, science and math. He thought that was really important. So my parents also always taught me to always question authority. And I grew up with a discourse in my house about uh, problems with capitalism and also problems with, with socialism because they were, right, they were there right around the time of Stalin and they saw what happened in their own community. So, so my background, I think, was um, particularly shaped, I think, for this moment. Okay. I want to ask you about um, sex and sexuality and um, how you came into it. Well, let's see. Uh, first of all, I always was aware that I was bisexual. Um, I think when I went through puberty, because I used, when I was a kid, we used to play these games that I guess some, not all little girls play, where you, oh, we would act out some dramas and um, where we would have, pretend to have sex. Oh, it depends on who the friend was. Some friends like to take all their clothes off and squirm around 
this was really erotic. Oh my God. Um, and I really loved it. So that came time for me to, when I was starting to grow up, um, I, I mean, I, there was no way I was going to let all that go. I, that was the beginning <laughs> of my sexuality. So I realized, oh, you know, I'm bisexual. So that uh, awareness of my difference and of the stigma around, around one's uh, gender orientation, uh, I think, framed my, really framed my life. And there was another factor. We're Jewish. And my parents were, would be, were horrified if I would date, uh, go out or have a crush on somebody who wasn't Jewish. Oh. That was the worst thing. Then you get disowned by the family. and They weren't religious. I mean, I did not grow up in a religious household at all. I mean, I'm probably much more spiritual than they were ever. Anyway, um, well, I fell in. Oh, so then we moved to Long Island, and there was nobody Jewish. Just like there was a few <laughs> dorky guys, you know, who were Jewish. And, oh, hey, I fell in love with somebody who just—he wasn't Jewish. I don't know what he was, but he was a track runner, and he was so good at it. He was smart and had a cute body and everything good. And I was totally aroused by him and everything. And I. I was so in love for years, and we were, and we went out, and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, my parents went crazy, and they, they confined me to the house, and I had to sneak out, and it, you know, whereas before I was loved, and, and they, they always admired me, and I was so good. Now I became the bad girl. Um, it was more with my father than my mother, but my father also was verbally abusive. So when I heard other people talk about, you know, abusive households, which were physically abusive, I always thought, well, I'm glad that didn't happen to me. But when I was a late teenager and all through my 20s, 30s, I really felt like I had uh, been abused in my youth. Okay. Right. So, so, I mean, I, I, I was abused in my youth, uh, and I didn't feel like my mom protected me, and I emotionally abusive and he was abusive with my brother and 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 with my mother more just yelled at her all the time and that sort of thing so uh, I was always I always identified as some kind of sexual outlaw because of my history and um I was also a bohemian and um I was romantic about art. I also, I realized I wanted to be an actress. Uh, very, when I was watching Shirley Temple, must have been six, I understood that. I was identified as an artist. My teacher talked me into going to graduate school for creative writing and poetry. And I, I studied poetry with Anne Sexton. And that was the semester that she killed herself. Oh my God. So I didn't know, I, <laughs> really, I didn't know about, uh, what the career as a poet would be. Um, anyway, I, um, so I wrote poetry, but I was never very thrilled with my work. And um, I, I did everything, you know, I sold pot, I ran away from home, I ran, ran away to Canada to be with the draft dodgers. Oh, I mean, I remember my first, uh, first time I got in trouble with the law was for sitting down for the flag salute to protest the Vietnam War. I mean, as a red diaper baby, these things were. And then the next thing, I had a demonstration in Washington to protest the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. um, of course, as soon as feminism emerged, I became a feminist. My mother became a feminist. And for 
for us and for me, it, it provided a real, uh, a, a really strong analysis for why my life was difficult, that I wasn't respected as a woman, that, that men were stronger, why was, I had my wonderful, what I thought maybe were feminine talents. Okay. And, and, and I wasn't respected and I, I, I couldn't find my way and I, it made me, and I saw my mother being emotionally abused my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I never understood why she was. So, uh, so when I, feminism emerged, um, I thought, oh, the oppression of women, of course. And this made my life make sense and gave me more power. Uh, the feminism that I learned was about women. Uh, were, uh, the feminine was on the rise, and I'm a f- feminist, and I'm attached to that f- feminine on the rise. And I mean, I'm definitely uh, kind of even a, a social feminist. I was even, uh, I was fundamentalist in a lot of ways because I, I really felt like women were superior. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I really felt like what the world needed was more female energy and that we were oppressed and that matriarchies were better, you know, the whole thing. So um, well, I, was, I remember being schooled by uh, an anti-porn activist. This was before. I was a sex worker. Okay. I mean, I, I always reserved some kind of distance there. But um, mm-hmm. as an anti-porn feminist, she, her name was Macho Woman Gold. She wrote Pornography, A License to Kill. So I was exposed <laughs> to the anti-porn movement. I also met a stripper, and she t- t- turned... Uh, I think she influenced me quite a lot. So that's... We have... Right up till there, that was kind of encapsulates my life before I moved to San Francisco. Okay, and when you moved to San Francisco, how did you discover and how did you get involved in the sex industry and sex activism? Well, I was very curious about prostitution. It was one of my fantasies. Mm-hmm. I remember in at Boston, in Boston, I did dance at the Golden Banana in Peabody, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, it was amateur night and I was so thrilled and I was, it was so erotic for me. Oh my God. And there was like, and I was already a comedian, done a lot of performances. And um, so I did kind of a comedy routine. It was fabulous. And the men in the audience were screaming and applauding. That was the best audience I ever had. And I just, <laughs> just loved it so much. It was one of, so liberating and exciting for me. And afterwards I went in the back with two men and had double sex. Double <laughs> I love you. <laughs> that was so amazingly erotic for me. I mean, I'm not recommending people do that. I mean, I guess there's risks involved in all this stuff. But anyway, it was really an explore- exploration for me. And I thought, whatever. I, so, you know, as a feminist, I, I did hear that this was you're really capitulating to men if you have sex with them, even if maybe they're not nice to you. Because if you're a sex worker, you know, or prostitute, or if you did that, you, you know, the men didn't have to be nice to you. You know, they just had to be whatever. But I had a lot of stereotypes. In, in, in those early days of the radical feminism in New York that you're describing, um, were the women in that anti-porn movement, were they even aware that there were sex workers or as they would call them then prostitutes, you know, before you coined the term, 
uh, were they aware that actually there were prostitute sex workers among them who were also feminists or was that like a totally foreign concept to them? I, I was teaching, co-teaching with a friend, uh, Elizabeth Hogan. We, so we had a women's writers group at Cambridge at a bookstore. And, and there was the anti-porn activist, Matcha, Woman Gold, and then there was the stripper. So she was writing, we're all feminists. We were all looking for, a, you know, a new way based on kind of feminine aspects. And, and so there was no secret. I mean, she was already a pro, pro-sex worker activist. Strippers and prostitutes, there was kind of a libertine spirit that's through the ages where you're proud of yourself. So she was always fascinated because, of course, the anti-porn activists fell in love with the stripper. And the stripper, you know, she was bisexual. She had a boyfriend. The whole story. This is very typical. So... No, I think that um, even though there wasn't a clear sex worker movement, that that conflict between the uh, prudish or anti-sex or anti-sex worker uh, feminists and the sex worker identified feminists prostitutes. I want to know what exactly, because you've been on both sides, what exactly do feminists think um, they're fighting for what exactly is is it the equality to compete with men or is it to to empower femininity and all things that come with femininity and it doesn't really have to be gender um, based well you know first of all I wasn't Exactly on, on the other side at all. I was just exploring. I remember this whole time I had a big fantasy about being a, a prostitute, a sexual fantasy, so it wouldn't make any sense for me to even vaguely be on that side. I didn't even, I always knew there was something wrong with, with Macha's angle. I wasn't quite sure. I didn't have a whole analysis about what, what was wrong, but I knew that there was some hypocrisy somewhere that she was, you know, in love with. The stripper. Oh, but of course I was identified as a feminist, so there's a lot of sex workers who identify as feminists. There is such a huge range. But I do feel like feminism, as it prioritizes a gender analysis, is, is problematic just in that regard. Maybe historically because women have always been kind of considered the moral police of society, so... Uh, we would naturally fall into that role because middle-class women compete with, uh, will be competing with uh, prostitutes because of the economics. And there was a million reasons why feminism is not a, 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 a satisfactory analysis to deal with injustice on the planet in general. I mean, I guess some people say, well, their feminism doesn't, doesn't prioritize the analysis of gender that it leaves room for all analyses I don't even understand that it, I think there is a prioritization of that maybe it's they say well since they're women no no because you can be I don't get it that's my thing I don't understand where that comes from but I do understand that women's social role is as moral police that um, and my analysis of this that kind of feminism is that they feel like sex has a certain place, and that place um, requires that it not be traded for money. I think it's a belief system about how sex should occur in society. And in, and in the indoctrination. Yeah. Okay. And what do you mean? 
it's it's an indoctrination. Well, th that's how I see. It. That's my perspective. It's, indoctrination. It, yeah, it's it's indoctrinated by the patriarchy. Yeah. Or right. for yeah. a woman not to be able to use the power she has over him. Because, I like that. Yeah. Love that. Yes, go No, you say it so well. You're so articulate on this. <laughs> you know what? Not just that. There's very few people who feel like they can talk about that now because it's also, it's very controversial. I don't know too many people who are putting that forth, but, you know, I mean, kind of a, as a, a, a little, an essentialist feminist, that's what I'm going to say. Maybe that's, this is essentialist. And that's what I, I am a bit, because I do feel like there's kind of an essential power. Women have over men, men have to suppress it. I do, in my heart of hearts, feel like that. Yeah, but well, I try not to tell, but I keep it a little bit of a secret, because um, then people say, you're an essentialist. And then I have to go on a big talking spree and apologize for myself. I hate that. Okay, well, you don't ever have to apologize. How you feel is how you feel. We can't, we can't go through life apologizing because we'll never get anywhere. You know what I'm saying? We have to stand for something. But it's, for um, me, it's almost a religion. I apologize. It's like I've lived my life apologizing myself. I thought it was a strategy. Maybe I'll one day let go of it, but really, this is I, really how I've done it. Well, I have a book you could read. It's all about not repenting. <laughs> 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 me, I'd like to meet that person. Yeah, yeah you should meet them. They, they're, they're a pro on non-repenting. <laughs> I love you. Okay, talking about that book, this is where um, I wanted to ask you, how, uh, what was your involvement with sex work that made you become an advocate, that made you write a book, that made you become this superhero of a lot of us sex workers? Yay, superhero. I like that. Um, okay. I always felt like Shirley Temple was a superhero. And I wanted to be like her because, I mean, I don't know if Scarlett Harlot is exactly like Shirley Temple. Just like maybe a modern version. Anyway, <laughs> first it was Shirley Temple. Then Madonna. Mind. 
I'm terminating my pregnancy. I'm going to terminate my pregnancy. We are the daughters and the wives. You don't care much for our lives. I refuse to be a sacrifice. So for safety and for birth control, I'll use condoms and non-oxidol. I would die if I took your good advice. Hope don't preach. You're in trouble deep. I hope you're not losing sleep. I made up my mind. I'm going to terminate my pregnancy. contributing to this and then you know I mean what what is you know a red diaper baby feminist gonna do I'm not the only one there are so in, in sex workers rights there are so many women who were brought up in a kind of socialist context and looking for sort of the next step to rebel against their parents so there's that's one factor mm-hmm. I'm in, I was just in the right place at the right time in terms of how I wound up becoming a an activist and just being at that pivotal point in the moment and uh, in the movement and being a leader there. Um, So I had a lot of courage just at that age. I'm not, who knows how much courage I have now, but that, those were courageous years for me um, because I'd grown up 
at fighting about my bisexuality. I was all prepared. My parents telling me I should fight, fight, fight. Um, uh, so when I moved to San Francisco, uh, oh, and also, you know, the Margot St. James was around in the, from 73, I would have heard of her, 74. I became a feminist in 73. But there was nobody coming out as a current prostitute. So that was different, her, her getting arrested. She said, well, I did it. You know, she was in the shadow. So I kind of understood that there was no first-person voice. Well, I understood that after I did it. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I was in debt to all these credit card companies. And um, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of girl that likes to pay her bills. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to go to a massage parlor. You know, I saw all those signs in, sec- in San Francisco, not like in other places with sex, massage, girls. <laughs> and I'm like, look, it's the front lines. And I, I was already, I went to graduate school in creative writing, and Ernest Hemingway was a favorite, and he was, you know, he went to battle. And, and he, became a, a, he became a great writer, and I'm going to be in the front lines. And I understood that prostitutes are in the front lines in the battle of the sexes. And a famous feminist, T. Grace Atkinson, said that, and I knew it. So there was all that churning in my mind. And, you know, what about Gloria Steinem? She went to work at Playboy, and then she wrote about it. So this influenced me. Oh, and I met a really wonderful feminist, Celeste. And she influenced me a lot. She was a strong lesbian activist. And she once just confided in me that she did it at the airport. You know, so here I am, and I'm out of money, and I'm sex massage girl. So I went down to this massage parlor and you know i knew they were selling sex because i mean they weren't selling ambiance i went in and i knew i wasn't supposed to ask too many questions and they were most of people the owners were korean people from all over the world women from all over the world they sent me with a regular and whoa, that was the easiest $35 I ever made. He asked for French, and I guessed what it is, and I was right. And he was like kind of, I mean, he might have been like the sweetest kind of typical client you'd ever imagine, just like a just regular down-to-earth, humble type of guy, nice, cheerful, looked like a middle management kind of guy, you know, not, I mean, it was amazing, and I came out being so happy. And then being with those women, I looked around and I just realized these are women I can learn from. So I remember just that even the first day I went home and unbarked. And I remember looking in that glass, you know, like a mirror. And I mean, I had a revelation. I just looked and I, I, I saw myself and I thought, now that's a prostitute and i realized that the line between me and the prostitute had disappeared and that looking at it from the other side of the line there is no line like i there's no line between us we are together we are the same for so many different reasons and i understood right there that this issue of prostitution was going to be the center of my life this is the issue was everything I'd been looking for, and I understood 
sex workers' rights instantly. Okay. So that is the entire story. Mike already brought it up, but you did coin sex work. Can you just give us a nice um, sentence on how, or a few sentences on how you coined sex work? It was an anti-porn conference. And I went because I wanted to see what the other side was about. I was already in Coyote. Um, okay. There I saw, I think it was a newsprint pad, and it said something about the sex use industry. And I thought, wait a minute. If we're feminists, we should be defining it by what the women do. And the men use the services, so sex use, but the women do the work. Right. So I thought, sex work, it's the sex work industry. And I, I went into the workshop and I talked about it. Nobody knew what to say. They didn't really resist. So, you know. <laughs> and that was it. So um, I started, I was, uh, I had a, a one-woman show mounted that I'd been doing since the early 70s, The Adventures of Scarlet Harlot. I put that term into the show. In fact, I had the, the sex worker invent it. And she said, the first line is, sex workers unite. Yes. We won't remain anonymous. And okay. then she had a manifesto with the term sex work in it. So it became an intrinsic part of my work. And really... I feel like I was a partner with Priscilla Alexander in coining this because she then popularized it. She edited a book by that same name, Sex Work, by Cleese Press. So, uh, and then she were, went to work at the World Health Organization. So all that went into establishing it as a global term, defining a movement, defining a mentality, defining a, an identity, which I think it's more than coining the term, it, it's... It's really launching an identity. In the late 1950s to early 80s, um, sex was becoming more unacceptable, more, uh, it was on a more normalizing path. And even in science, the benefits of sex were more open and people were, were, were talking about it. And then, the, then AIDS came into the picture. And so then the LBGT and the um, sexual liberty opponents, including religious institutions, got on this bandwagon on the, the, the yeah the, the wrath of God and all this other stuff. And due to back, we go back to indoctrination. People went back into hiding because there's also in men's health. There's a interview. There's a um, there's a what do you call that? Uh, there's an article on millennials and how millennials are having less sex than people in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, and 50s. Oh, right, right. Yeah. And it, do you feel like we're regressing, like we're going backwards in time rather than forward? I mean, it was my impression that it's a pendulum in terms of sexual freedom and, 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 and sexual uh, liberty. I mean, I guess that's sexual freedom and a, and a consciousness, a pro-sex consciousness. So I feel like um, perhaps it did advance a bit more in the 70s. There's a sexual revolution in the 70s, so I, I'm assuming it, maybe that was more advanced than, I'm not sure of the exact dates of the other uh, periods of sexual liberation. There's, uh, there's a quote from some swerfs that really pissed me off and, and made me think of you also. And I, I wanted to get your reaction to it. Is that okay if I share this? Yeah. Uh, so it was on the, um, 
the letter that a bunch of anti-sex worker activists circulated when Amnesty International uh, was going to, was voting to decriminalize, to endorse decriminalizing sex work in 2015. So I'm sure you saw that letter. There was all these famous actresses, Meryl Streep, uh, you know, Anne Hathaway, um, Claire Danes. There was Christian groups, there was feminist groups. And they wrote in this letter, they said, um, criticizing Amnesty International, they said, Amnesty uses the term, quote, and they have sex uh, scare quotes, as they always use. Amnesty uses the term, quote, sex work, a term invented by the sex industry and its supporters to mainstream and normalize the inherent violence, degradation, and dehumanization that defines prostitution. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know if they don't like to say that it was a sex worker, so um, that they would consider me the sex industry. So, uh, I mean, whatever. But how, do, how do they even, I mean, they've got to know that if they even have, I mean, it seems to me like they're just openly lying. Like they, no, 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 they, that, what? I'm the sex industry. And what was the last part of it? That, uh, that, that it was, that it. So it, they it, think it, I'm the sex industry because I'm a sex worker. To okay. mainstream and normalize the inherent violence degradation. Oh, well, but the, it's the not idea. A lie. It's just like that's their interpretation. But I like, mean, how do it's they. It's not to normalize. It's not to normalize harm. It's to emphasize our rights and the, and the true activity of what we're doing. And so I don't know. It, it, that's their interpretation. I, is it, that it, a lie? There we go again. This, it, it goes. It goes back to the whole indoctrination, the whole stigma sex carries. It's not even about sex workers, really, because if they had an issue with sexuality, mm-hmm. I think it's really coming from their misinformed information on sex itself that they come up with all this because uh, maybe someone. Sh- uh, this is my 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 perspective too. I, I'm you know. I'm just saying, maybe someone shamed them when they were masturbating when they were a little kid, and ever since, you know, sex became something disgusting to them, and they really feel like they're in their right with their misinformed information. They're so caught up in it that they don't want to see it any other way. Yeah, well, growing up in this culture, you've been abused sexually. Everybody's shamed, at least by the broader culture, so I definitely think that that people are suffering from, from sexual shame and abuse in that way. Okay, thank you for joining us and don't forget to subscribe, like and leave any comment. Remember, I I'm not against any type of criticism. Anything you want to say, just say, just be free to say what you have on your mind and I will respond in time. Thank you so much, and have a beautiful, beautiful day. Have a sexy day. Bye. Ciao. Au revoir.
tonight we have a very special guest. And she will be talking to and telling us about what needs to be improved as well as what exists in the world of sexuality. Okay, hello. Welcome to Kiara Nation. Um, today our special guest is Carol Lee, Scarlett Harlot, the superhero of sex workers, the woman that coined sex work. And uh, my co-host, Mr. Michael Ellsberg. Hey, good. Hi. From their misinformative, I'm, you know, I'm just saying, maybe someone shamed them when they were masturbating when they were a little kid, and ever since, you know, sex became something disgusting to them, and they really feel like they're in their right with their misinformed information. They're so caught up in it that they don't want to see it any other way. Yeah, well, growing up in this culture, you've been abused sexually. Everybody's shamed, at least by the broader culture, so I definitely think that, that people are suffering from, from sexual shame and abuse in that way. What's your take, Carol? Of oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, I want to just like say this is going to take a, like more than a minute. Go two do minutes. it. Okay, I just want to say this one thing. Okay, so there's somebody who was on that side, and was on the anti-prostitution side. She was here locally, trashing us to the max. And she said, "Sex." She called me a madam. Now I'm not against madams at all. I just never happened to do that. I really was kind of one of the last people to even share my clients. So that's not even even a good thing. But anyway, I was totally not a madam. So she said that it was invented by a madam. Okay. So I tried to get that off the internet for years and years. Then she turns around and gets a very important position in the sex worker rights angle of the movement, of the human rights, anti, as a human rights based pro sex work anti trafficker in Freedom Network. So I, meanwhile, then I had a panel with her and I'm not, and finally I told her, could you please get rid of that? So here's this person with this background and, and all this horrible stuff she did for years, trashing us in the paper and just, just being awful and lying about me on the internet and she wouldn't change it. And, and then it just, and then here she is, you know, s sitting neatly in the progressive part of the movement. I mean, it's neither mm. here nor there, but it just makes me mm. mad. So I'm sorry. <laughs> what what okay. is your take? You've dealt with these people for so long now. Why can they not listen when a woman, they claim to be feminists, when a woman stands in front of them and says, I am not being raped when I receive payment for sex. I am choosing to do this. This is my choice. Why can they not listen to a woman who says that it seems like they've had so many opportunities to actually listen to other women and they just yeah. won't you know so, i really do think it's more about a belief system about sex and having a certain belief system about sex is like a religious belief i mean there's why do people think that you know it's bad to be gay and that everybody who's gay is going to go to hell and you know or that we should put them in jail? Why do people believe all this stuff? They have a belief system, and I think a belief, a certain belief about sexuality, and I mean, of course, it, it, it emanates from sexual shame and other parts of our history, and just exactly what Kiara said. But I do think that it. That 
if they believe a certain, that sex should only be done in what they would uh, define as a, a certain way, then everybody else is doing something harmful. Makes sense to me from their point of view. Um, did she ever? Did she ever realize that she was she was on the she was in, in a mistaken side? And did she? Do you think maybe she finally came to understanding? Well, the last panel when I did a panel with her, I was explaining how laws against prostitution were harmful and she kind of tried to like cut me off a little and said oh well, there are some other issues there no she didn't i'm not saying she cut me off but she she just said there's other issues there i mean i was i was very insulted by her and given her position i feel like she offered should be giving me some kind of apology but to kind of have to qualify what I said on that panel in that way, I thought was awful. And she never really did come around. So I don't know, mm, neither yeah. here nor there, but. All right. Yeah, there's a lot of egos involved. And I think that's. Yeah, that's the way. That's what exactly. make um, opponents of sex work, like, you know, like the um, SESTA FASA and now the new AB 2389, will use the COVID-19 as they did a the AIDS with the LBGT and the hetero casual sex um, mm -hmm. by by the social distancing because I'm I already so I've already seen reports that, that, um, that sex workers are getting more and more um, CO COVID nineteen. I'm really curious to see. To tell you the truth, I think I would recommend the international. Committee for uh, Sex Worker Rights in Europe has done a policy paper with recommendations and a discussion of what's going on now for sex workers around the world. You kind of have to look globally at this, mm -hmm. right? see what will happen in the next country and what's going to happen in our country. And um, I mean, there's so much to learn and study, and the Network of Sex Work Projects is doing a survey, which the results haven't been published. So I've seen reports, but I'm actually waiting for the reports of the kinds of tactics that are used against sex workers. So, I mean, I don't think it's a matter of if. I just think it's a matter of what ways they're going to try to curtail our freedoms, because you know if they're doing a kind of whole societal sweep and limiting people's freedoms that sex workers are going to be... Uh, more okay. on the top of the list. <laughs> so we know that. I mean, yeah. it's my primary focus, my main concern is looking at progressives and trying to explain and um, create a dialogue about how criminalized and targeted people are the ones that should be central to concerns and discussions and plans to protect people and to... So I do think that when I look at this, I see that because the main strategy is more social control and, and punitive actions towards those who are disobeying, I strongly feel that we have to look at the criminalized and the targeted. And I don't see that in uh, broadest uh, sectors of progressives and liberals. I see a concern about pockets, about maybe how it relates to race, how it relates to poverty, some about how it relates to drug users, no, no really strong criticisms of uh, criminalization of drugs. Uh, which would be central. So I don't see an, a lot of analysis about how criminalization is, uh, is central in all this. Targeting and criminalization, the way people of color are targeted by police. So I think that that's really in 
I mean, I've created a, some, a page um, and some information to show the kinds of uh, policy papers that are being um, uh, published by homeless groups, uh, houseless groups, and, and um, people of colors, rights groups around the world to, as resources for how to develop an analysis that would center on, on criminalization and targeting. So, I haven't seen it yet. Have you? No. No, I haven't. Michael, did you have? Did you see? No, it? no, I haven't no. seen that yet. No, but, haven't um, seen that. It's okay. not existing yet. And like even, you know, sex workers. I mean, we're if they, I want them to look at the International Committee for Sex Worker Rights in Europe policy, and and people could understand that the sex workers are just developing it. I see, like I see the germ of it in all our work, and I see that it that the analysis is because in our pay policy papers we do mention these other groups that are targeted we do always prioritize immigrants and houseless people and people of color and, and transgender people and the way they're targeted by the police so i think that linking those seeing how those work together informing an analysis centralized on that is important even okay. sex workers who are paying their taxes are being excluded from any monetary um help from the government or even okay. in the places even the places like australia and, and new zealand and stuff where they are All legal the yeah. they they're still they still have to go through a bunch of red tape because the stigma still carries um and, yeah, i wanted right. to know, and, and and it seems like the um the markets like the the online markets are getting flooded now and um it's not easy it's like branding michael knows about this uh, when it when you get online to do something so it's not like instant like like it is in person so um that's not going too well and the women that have um been online um are also losing because there's so many it's it's being so saturated with um with new people the beautiful thing I see is that, uh, and it's always been my thing, and I know pe you know people get <laughs> get annoyed with me, but I, I see it happening, which is beautiful. Um, sex workers are getting empowered and aren't really relying on the government, and they're the sex workers who are doing better or um, may have a little extra change are putting into the pot for other sex workers, and I think that's a beautiful thing. So this is a whole big old question in the one and a statement, but um, what um, what do you have to say about this? I mean, it's my impression that even in places where sex work is legal, that there are legal uh, some kind of legal stipulations that eliminate sex workers from getting certain kinds of funds. It's my impression. I'm not 100% sure about that, but actual there are prohibitions. Um, against them receiving some funds. Now, sex workers, I mean, if you're, if, even if you haven't, if you're a person who hasn't paid taxes, there are ways you can get the money. So sex workers are prohibited. Anyone who's in a sex-related business, business owner, and, I mean, that would maybe include an independent uh, sex worker as your own business. I mean, they're prohibited or directors, from doing the, or directors. The loans. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. It says or directors, crew members, anyone that um, uh, in in the set has anything to do with sex cannot with any sex, cannot collect. Yeah. They cannot collect. Cannot um, receive 
the funds that are, are afforded through the CARES Act and um, guided through the Small Business Administration. And since the 90s, the Small Business Administration has had this uh, rule. So the rule's old, and the way it's employed now is, is very problematic for anybody whose business is even close to this and for sex workers in general because of that stipulation. That's a certain pot of money, and this $1,200 is a different pot of money. Now, if you're a sex worker and you've been out as a sex worker, I don't even, I mean, you need to talk to a lawyer. I don't know about that. You'd think everybody who can get that can get that who's, I don't think you've had to have been paid taxes. So I don't know about that. But in terms of uh, any kind of legal channel, channels or supports for businesses and including sex work businesses all around the world, uh, what I believe I'm seeing is that even when it's legal, they do more than put up roadblocks. They prohibit oh, that. Put it, okay, let's put it like this. Now, in, in, in every movement and in every change that's been on the planet, it is not the rule makers. It is not... It is. It is not the the people in um, power. Sorry, I have an issue. Or the people, or the ruling class, or whoever. It's not them that make a change. It's the it's 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 the masses who force them to change from the bottom up. All change right. happens from who the bottom up. Force them to change. So, I I'd be important for sex workers to target the masses, to target the everyday person, and let them know who they are who they are as human beings, who this is me, and, and let them understand that there's nothing wrong with sexuality. Sexuality is a... you feel? What, what do sex workers and people who enjoy this um, show need to do, or what do, what do they need to think about in order to make a change in the world? On this, you know, based on, on sexuality and so forth. I mean, I just said my little piece. Can you guys... Well, I mean, I just think that your your perspective is, is very much needed and has been suppressed. I mean, I think I did say that in the course of this. I feel like our movement, I mean, our movement's always been fairly divided. There's a, there is a huge sex positive wing and, and a part of our movement. I mean, with Annie Sprinkle's work and Carol Queen and I mean, there is a huge sex positive movement that's, that's I mean, been the basis of sex worker rights, and then there's also been always a movement that, part of our sex worker movement that rejects that. So I think the movement's been quite divided about that. So, I mean, I'm thinking kind of internally, and that really wasn't the question you're asking, but, but no, it is, too, but I know. But I do think that it would be good if our movement became a little bit more open to a sex-positive view. I also think that, you know... I mean, what I'm looking at in terms of issues around race and class, I'm looking at who is actually kind of enforcing an anti-sex positive view in our movement. And I am not so I mean, when I look at messages amongst people of color or people in different countries and in, in community groups that are um, less privileged than others in the area, I feel like I hear a sex positive message. I feel like we need to learn from these messages. And I just feel like sex movement needs to look carefully. Now, I mean, I do understand how easily that message can distract from other, other messages. So, I mean, 
Sex positive perspective. 
And I, I think that is going to happen. And I do think it's sad that the people against it are don't see that there's at least some room for it, that we have such a broad sex worker movement that is resisting it so much that they don't also understand the value. I mean, I, that's what I'm seeing. I think that we could have more of an understanding of the value. Okay, well, I w I'm, I'm, I'm not completely, I'm okay. My, my basis is not, um, it's not to act more sex positive, but to come to an understanding of our sexuality as human beings, because um, once you have an understanding, you may have your reservations, but you have an understanding. Therefore, you're no longer tolerating something that you don't understand. And any tolerance, anything I can put, let's say I put this here, and it'll talk, my fingers will tolerate it, and then it'll fall once the tolerance is gone. But if you have, if I have an understanding that I need my, I need this, I need to cut my hand like this to hold this, I will not, I'll, it will never drop. Do you understand? That's what all I'm saying. <laughs> I couldn't really see that because it's so little. What is it? It, it I mean, it's, it's a ball, but I was and I was holding it out with two fingers. I was my two fingers were tolerating. Well, watch out! With <laughs> yeah, it was, was tolerating it, and, and because I had, I, I didn't have the understanding that I needed to hold it like this to cut my hand like this, then it wouldn't fall because now I have an understanding, and I'm almost positive that it won't fall because I've cut my hand. But if I just do things out of ignorance and I don't understand and I just keep holding it like this, I may be able to tolerate it for a minute, but at some point it'll fall. But, yeah, I totally yeah. think that exactly what you're saying, it takes some kind of wisdom around sex positivity though. And if you're not, and if you're anti-sex positivity at all, you don't even get into a lot of different thoughts about how, what, how sex is important and how it works in, in the rest of our lives. You don't even, I feel like you don't get into like deep thoughts and deep study about how sex works. That's just not in like the top five things that you think about. Instead, you're busy with your, your top five might be like people who people are oppressed by race or you think about economics and this and that. And then you get down and, well, people don't see sex as, you know, the basis for, for, for Foucault and um, people don't see that. People don't, that's, that's, forget it. They don't even care. Right. They, they're unclear, but then, but then um, they wonder why they're stressed out. They, they don't, they, they wonder why, um, they can't stand each other. They wonder why they loathe this and they dislike that and all that. When you're, in, again, when you're indoctrination up here, it's telling your nature, no, no, your nature is going to find other ways to have an outlet, and sometimes those outlets aren't very good. Sex, um, the sex negativity creates harm to, especially the, the, the sex, stereotype the sex the sex roles for men and women create abuse because a woman fears the most thing she fears is to be called a slut or a whore and the, what a man will use against a woman is to call her a slut or a whore and get hit whatever he wants or whatever and then run off another yeah, I totally. Yeah, it does have a, a, a wide. Um, it, it's not just about having fun. It, it's about that you've created, you've created a a natural state of your humanity, and you've made it something evil. And it's 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 
the center of your humanity, of your human being, of your physicalness. And now you have these feelings that you don't understand. You have all these feelings you don't understand. And then when you see someone doing something, someone told you was nasty, all of a sudden that person's nasty. And then it goes into this widespread of things. And then if um, in some cultures, you know, women even playing with themselves, caught playing with themselves, maybe stoned to death or something. You understand what I'm saying? It's really, it, 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 it is a big thing. It is, it is huge. Because it, what, that, yeah. it, it, it's creating monsters out of people because we're not connected to our nature. Well, I totally believe that. On the other side where a person wants to suppress that, this, uh, this other thing where sex is used as a weapon against us, and there is some damned if you do, damned if you don't thing about the way it works in our society where people, it's the main weapon that they could use against us. Yeah, is the solution if we're like so like open and, and wise and could embrace our sexuality? Well, as an essentialist feminist, I might tend to say that. Well, though, if I step back from the other perspective, I might say that human, humanity hasn't been able to do that and we have to give some kind of... Uh, pay attention to the way it's used against us and, and prioritize that to some extent. So I really do go back to uh, just a difficult situation that maybe will have a pendulum, but that people need to respect both uh, situations, both situations we find ourselves in. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I am an essentialist feminist, so I would say, and that's a female thing. <laughs> what um carol so your amazing book everyone who's watching should read it unrepentant whore um what is as someone who comes out and has a book and says you know uses this term whore what is your best sense of why men at the same time want to use the services of a sex worker a prostitute, a whore, whatever term you can use, why they, they want to use the services of this person, but then judge them at the same time. Like, I, I don't understand that psychology of why someone would want to have the sexual access and then, but then say, oh, you're dirty for giving me that sexual access. Like, what the fuck is going on with that? What's your best <laughs> I mean, understanding wait, of that? Sex. Remember, sex is a tool that you use against people. Sex expresses, you know, love and awareness, and it also expresses pain and it expresses ways we've been attacked and want to attack. It expresses anger. It expresses revelations. Sex is huge, and I think that that is part of sex. That's the way, you know what, when people say rape isn't sex, I say... Unfortunately, rape is part of the way sex expresses itself. And I just think that's one of the bad parts of sex. I'm, yeah. Mm. No, yeah, just, yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm not clapping the rape part. I'm just clapping because you just made me just see something that I've, I haven't seen it that way. Now I see what you're saying. It's, it's like good cop, bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So in everything, there's a good and a bad. There's no, no, nothing that has just straight good. Well, I guess sex seems more than everything. Sex seems like such a cent. It's like the central one of. It seems like a central mechanism and symbol of. It's so pivotal, right? Yeah, but yet so powerful. <laughs> it's like it, I do think maybe that is. 
at the center and other things at the center, but that seems like it's there in the center. Well, that's why the anti-porn people and anti-sex people, they want to keep it tight because they worry about the weapon that it is. True. But that, not the power. They don't really, are, you know, think about the power that it well, is. It, they, I, they yeah, I have. comes before the power and really needs to be, like, prioritized. Is it, curtailing the weapon rather than thinking yeah. about I have right a theory now, I about, because I, yeah. I think about these people a lot because I write about them and trying to figure out how can they get it so wrong on the sex work issue. And I have a theory about this that I'd love to hear your opinion on is I think a lot of these swerf anti-sex workers, women are really, if you get down to what motivates them, they really, really, really hate the idea of women choosing to perform femme labor in any way. Like they write articles about how they, they don't like that a woman would, would feminize herself intentionally in a way to get to please men in order to get something from men like that. That just bothers them. And if you look at like, um, you know, Andrea Dworkin and Julie Bindel, um, they, you know, they, all were really against any woman doing anything that might that might kind of go towards a man desire a man's desire to see that sort of feminine labor enacted. Do you think there's? Well, that, what do you think? That's of, the, that yeah. was the heart of like little Scarlet Harlot's analysis in my book. I mean, my first one of my first revelations. I remember the quotings like other women wear lipstick. Mm -hmm. So you know, and what I was just saying before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was saying, I remember what I thought the first problem about sex work and feminism was that um, you're nice to men, even though, you know, I mean, basically, it's like catering, doing anything for men, and they don't, it's not attached to that men being nice to you. I thought that was a problem. So, yeah, women wearing lipstick, to me, that was a symbol of, you know, any kind of feminizing that would have anything to do with men. And I do think that that is certainly part of the analysis. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. definitely. Those mm -hmm. not saying to me, it's, well, it's the way that... It's a way that you have to embrace, like, women being disrespected. I guess that's what you're saying, too, when you're against the femme. In general, yeah, when you're against being femme in this world. Or comparatist, comparing themselves to men or whatever, because if you're saying femme, femme, all those things are femme. All those things are femme. And so is intelligence, and so is strength, and so is physical strength, and so forth. But that's something we have to... Um, build on you know you know weight training and so forth and that will build our, our can build our strength it's not inherent but yeah. we can build it what about you know? the yin yang thing what about that yeah that fit in? Mm -hmm. right. i mean and then there's there is not everything is isn't there a yin and yang i mean to everything, I don't, <laughs> to every you're absolutely right to everything there's a yin and yang so how well, uh, some things are identified as more yin and more yang there is isn't there that I mean, I don't actually don't uh, don't have that expertise. Okay, but yeah. isn't that a well, thing where something will be considered yin and something will yeah. be considered yin? Well, yeah. it's, it, well, what it's because one complements the other. If you don't know pain, then you you won't know what joy is. If all you know is joy, then that's all you know. Yin and yang brings a balance where you have to g struggle, and then you see the light. You're in the darkness, and you go through the tunnel till you get to the light. Basically, you, you understand. So it's so sort of. I mean, I, without, yeah, without, that, without 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 the pain, there, there there is no joy because you can't appreciate either. 
I haven't thought about that a lot, yeah. actually. You can't, you can't appreciate one without the other. You can't have one without the other. But then there's a thing called evil. <laughs> there's a thing called I, I, just something that is so unacceptable because you're always going to have good and bad. But then there's things that just go beyond the scope of bad. You know, like going and grabbing a child and selling it and having it have sex with some old man when it's not even ready for sex. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's evil. You know, a kidnapping or, or going under the pretense that, you know, you may not be able to make that much money here in this country because your this country has been depleted by your ruler or whatever. And now you have no money and you're looking for a better you know, you're looking for something better. And here your daughter just came out of school and somebody says, ah, she can go. And your own family member will say, ah, she can go to university or she can come have a job in the United States with me. Just give me. Okay. Then they give this child or this a person to, to, to this person. They go out and they sell them for, for sex slave. They sell them for agriculture. Um, some people have gone so far as to take people's organs and so forth, and you never see them again. And there's that trafficking. There's the trafficking of housekeepers and so forth and so on. It, it all stems from poverty. It doesn't stem from sex. <laughs> or maybe it That's does, because, because if people well, were breeding, then there wouldn't be people on the earth, and then you wouldn't <laughs> have people. <laughs> My thing with trafficking is really that the, the framework itself uh, – it creates a, a situation where sex work is seen as an evil institution and that the anti-trafficking framework, rather than looking at like the diversity of situations that you just mentioned and looking at them each in the context perhaps of, you know, an economic situation in one context, and usually that is economic, but sometimes, you know, a homeless young person sleeping around, it's economic, but you might have another context for examining it. But to put them all under the rubric of trafficking, I think, is really a way to draw out the anti-prostitution, anti-sex angle from each of these occurrences. And I, I just feel like the anti-trafficking framework is, is very problematic. Yeah, that's a very long story. I could say it better. Let's not. Yeah, well, yeah that's for okay, the next so, episode. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> will you will you come back and visit us? I'd be so happy. I'm so grateful for this. I just I can't. I'm even grateful tell you. that you and came on. You. And it was such a great discussion, and I I learned so much. And to be with you, thank Me you too. so I learned much. a lot too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, you're so definitely, you. you're, you're one of my heroes, one of my favorite authors. Um, you sparked, uh, sparked, you're played a huge hero. part in sparking a whole movement. Okay, I love you so much. I love okay. you. Let's do it again. I'm so okay. happy to spend this time with you. I, I just, it really means a lot to me. And Kiara, you are a huge hero. <laughs> and you're just a bit, really huge hero. And I mean, I don't think I emphasized enough that you are one of the only people, and certainly doing it at this level. So you're the, one of the only people who articulates this. This takes an enormous amount of courage. I do think there's a lot of resistance in the movement. And your work is so important. And I just, you're so great. Well, I mean, you, you helped me get here because you know what I look like before I got here. And I'm here now, and I'm very proud. You're always okay, fabulous. So I have to say that, but you. I'll take it. <laughs> Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. All right. Bye. Love Bye. you. Love you. <laughs> Bye.
Okay, thank you for joining us and uh, don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave any comment. Remember, I am not against any type of criticism. Anything you want to say, just say. Just be free to say what you have on your mind and I will respond in time. Thank you so much and have a beautiful, beautiful day. Have a sexy day.